Welcome to Ecology XP, a series by the Pika Science Podcast. I'm your host, Jillian sokorowski Legree, and I'm here to talk to you about all things ecology and video games. For those of you who don't know me, I am a PhD student who studies arachnids and ecology. If you don't know much about ecology, that's okay. If you'd like a more in-depth introduction, you can check out my interview with Dr. Ray in the PokeScience podcast. But for time's sake, in short, ecology is about how organisms and their environment interact. One of my goals for EXP is to bring scientists, gamers, and gamer scientists together. So today, my gaming guest is one of my near and dear friends, Austin Evans. Austin, tell us about who you are and what you do. Oh, I don't do very much. That's a bit of a tough question, but hello. Uh, my name's Austin. I am the certified gaming professional for this episode's podcast. Austin, what is your favorite video game? Oh, that's tough. I think probably my favorite genre would have to be uh, JRPGs or just RPGs in general. I know that they can get pretty cliched pretty easily, but man, if the power of friendship doesn't make me cry every single time it's used against a final boss, it's, it's the best trope. Are there any specific games that you would say are like in your top five, top three, even number one? For sure. I think my favorite story of any game I've ever played, and fair warning, I'm a huge Square Enix simp, so most of the games I've played come from them. But I think Final Fantasy XIV, and to be fair, they've had literally 10 years of developing it to, to make it this way, but has got to be one of the best stories I've ever you know, been a been a part of reading or playing. Um, otherwise, I think some non-Square Enix titles that I really love, or at least really loved as a kid, are like Capcom's Mega Man Battle Network series or Mega Man Zero or ZX, and just uh, stuff like that. You know, high fantasy, story-heavy, JRPG-ish kind of titles. Oh, that's weird. I had written down that your favorite game is League of Legends. Oh, you see, that was a different me. We've changed since then. That was that was two thousand, two thousand, yeah, two thousand and nineteen. Austin, gold Austin, Viego main Austin. There's a terrible person that guy. Well, today, Austin, I have invited you to talk with me about the ecology of Summoner's Rift. Oh, okay. We're talking flora and fauna on the on the rift. Yeah, talking about what lives on the rift, possibly how it got there, and how it's interacting with potentially other creatures on the rift, or how it's being impacted by the environment of the rift. I'm excited. That sounds like fun. So, if you care about your mental health, listeners, you probably don't know what League of Legends is. Austin, how would you describe League of Legends? Okay, I think League of Legends is... Okay, there's two ways to describe it. One is the correct way to play it, and then two is the way it's supposed to be played. The correct way to play it is as a solo adventure game where you mute everyone else in your lobby, don't even think about them, load in jungle, farm for 25 minutes, go 0-12, GG next. The way you're supposed to play it is a team-based 5v5 uh, MOBA, which I don't remember the, what the acronym actually stands for. 
but uh, where the goal is to kind of work together as a team and work to take out the enemy's base. But if you do that, you will lose your mind. So if you've ever played a game like Dota, Smite, Pokemon Unite, that's basically what League of Legends is. I feel like any League players right now are cringing that I've compared it to these other games, but they're all MOBAs. It's all the same concept. And the official description, according to the League of Legends website, it says, and I quote, League of Legends is a team-based game with over 140 champions to make epic plays with. That is all the website says. <laughs> I think we're at 160 now. Are I we? Think, I think so. I might be lying, and I apologize for that, but I'm pretty sure it's it's 160. I think a better description that I had written out is that League of Legends is a multiplayer online battle arena, aka a MOBA. It was officially launched on October 27th, 2009 by a small indie company known as Riot Games. Um, as of the recording of this episode, it is just a bit past League's birthday, so happy birthday, League of Legends. But the inspiration for League of Legends comes from a custom map from Warcraft 2 called Defense of the Ancients. League of Legends is one of the world's largest esports and has an incredible fan base of about 180 million players. As of June 2023, about 9.9 .9 million people play the game daily, but this often fluctuates based on in-game events. It's been higher, it's been lower, you get the gist. A quick little detour into the birth of League of Legends. It was originally developed by Mark Merrill and Brandon Beck. Merrill and Beck were advisors to game companies before creating Riot Games, and its first offices were created in 2006 in Santa Monica. Merrill, Beck, four producers, an engineer, a VFX artist, and two interns led the charge towards a game that they originally called Onslaught. By 2008, the original team was falling apart, clashing over making a Dota mimic or becoming trailblazers within the MOBA game development and design field. After the resignation of about three-fourths of the core members, Onslaught took on a new name, the name we all know and love today, but slightly different, League of Legends Clash of Fates. Have you heard this backstory for League before? I've, I haven't heard the, the term Clash of Fates before. I knew before the big lore update about how, you know, we were all actual summoners, summoning like champions and whatnot, but I've never heard of the, the before before times, like Onslaught, that, that's a new one for me. I'm skipping over a lot of history here because this show, EXP, is about science and video games. We haven't gotten to the science part yet, but the reason I wanted to include this is simply because I find the, video, the history of video games fascinating, and League of Legends, while I hate it, is still one of my favorite games. And I think like if you ask Pokemon players about the birth of Pokemon, I'd argue a lot of them know the basic foundational story by heart. Like they can all recite it. But League players, they have no hearts. So I don't really anticipate any League players to know the actual backstory to the game that we all loathe and love. It's true. Anyways, League's initial 2009 launch was in competition with a game you've probably never heard of. Heroes of New Earth. Have you ever heard of this game, Austin? <laughs> no, I, I haven't. <laughs> I, I, I was wondering where what game you were going to bring up. I was like Dota 1, 
Heroes of the Storm. No, that's it's just out of the left field with that one. Well, get this. Initially, Heroes of New Earth was outperforming League of Legends player numbers wise. Oh. It wasn't until the two games announced their business models that this tide shifted. So initially, everyone had their bets placed on this game called Heroes of New Earth. But what happened was Heroes announced that it would be um, a traditional box game with a fixed price tag, while League of Legends would be a free-to-play game but would monetize with in-game purchases. Mm. So in the first year of business, League made $1.29 million. The next year... (laughs) I know it doesn't seem like a lot today, but the next year it had it had increased to seventeen point two five million dollars. Oh my god! So that's quite a jump (laughs) for one year. And then in two thousand eleven, Riot made eighty five million dollars, and that's the same year they were bought by the Chinese company Tencent for four hundred million dollars USD, of course. As of twenty twenty, League of Legends alone has made Riot Games a whopping one point seven five billion dollars and the game is still free to play to this day i don't want to linger too much on the history of league because we still have a lot to cover but if you want to learn more the article that i got most of this history from is called league of legends is now 10 years old this is the story of its birth it's by brian crescente on the washington post website and i highly highly recommend it because it gives you this nice basically story about how League of Legends came to be. So I I recommend it if anyone's interested in the history. So anybody who plays League of Legends knows that the game has multiple game modes. There are currently two main game modes, and the first is called All Random, All Mid, aka ARAM, where two teams of five players are each assigned a random champion and play on a single middle quote lane. It's a small map, and it's high action, high death, high kills. It basically looks like a frozen wasteland, ruins kind of environment. But the second game mode is what we will be focusing on today, which is Summoner's Rift. Austin, how would you describe Summoner's Rift to somebody who has never played League before? Um, okay. That's that's an easy one, right? Okay, so there's grass. (laughs) There's... (laughs) There's a river. Okay, grass, There's a, a river. river. Actually, you know, okay, and the, this isn't going to be for people who've never played before, but I got to say, one of my favorite things about the Rift design-wise has always been the uh, the background. I don't know if you've ever taken a deeper look at it, but like the background art that just kind of flows beyond and shows kind of the greater expanse of the Rift and all the forests and mountains and, and rivers and, and wyverns flying around and whatnot has always been one of my favorite parts. I agree. It's super beautiful. And we'll actually get to talk about some of that. Um, I I would call it extended art. But essentially, for anyone who doesn't know, Summoner's Rift isn't just grass. It is a classic 5v5 game mode. So typical MOBA. Oh, that's what you... Okay, you know what? That's my bad. (laughs) I jumped the gun a little bit on the, the fauna and the flora. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Your heart and head were in the right place. Yeah. Essentially, the map is split into two sides, red and blue side, and three lanes that stretch across the entire map through both those red and blue sides. In between each lane, there are wildlands, which is affectionately called the jungle, where players can roam and is the 
role traditionally of the jungler player, if you will. Any commentary on that? So, yes, that was my home for the past three or four years. I was a jungle main. Not a very good one. (laughs) But, you know, we got to gold four once. This is before the Emeralds update. So that was in season 10, I think, when I finally hit gold. Gold four back then is what now? Um, I think it would be plat four now. It's like it was top like twenty five percent, maybe top thirty percent of players. The rank economy has really took a turn. I know they they shifted everything down one. I'm sure any League of Legends fan listening right now is dying hearing us discuss this because Summoner's Rift has changed a lot over the years. It's, you know, it started in 2009. We're now in 2023 as of the recording of this episode. Hello to future listeners who are listening in 2050. League of Legends is a continually evolving game. I'd love to know what it looks like in 2050. And part of the core history of League is innovation and change. Major changes in game lore, structure, and art have constantly occurred over the years since League's birth. For sake of ease, I'm mostly going to be talking about League of Legends as is it as it exists today in 2023, and less about the historical versions that have existed. Lore-wise, in the original creation of Summoner's Rift, the Rift existed as canon to the planet known as Runeterra. The purpose of the Rift was to settle disputes in a controllable and systematic way. For example, the user, only play enchanters on Reddit, whose tag, by the way, is Diamond3, mentions that in the original war, Noxus and Ionia used the rift to save Ionia from the invasion of Noxus, hence where we get Ionian Boots of Lucidity because Ionia won the battle. The role of the player, you, the summoner, was to summon a champion to fight, and Austin, you are my local resident lore expert, so can you expand on this more? Um... No, that is actually interesting. I knew about the, I knew vaguely about League's um, early years, uh, lore-wise, but I didn't realize that the the countries were were already in existence there. Like, I didn't know that Noxus and Ionia were the ones having these fights in the Rift. Although I did know about the description of the Boots of Lucidity, I thought that was current lore, not past lore. So that's actually really interesting for me. I do know a couple of things about champions, like the champion Lee Sin, who in current lore is a just a blind monk from Ionia, um, used to be a summoner in training. And so that's why oh. he was fighting on the rift to, to train to become one of us playing the game. <laughs> I had no idea. It's 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 wild. Old old League of Legends lore is crazy. If there is any chance where you get to insert old lore, please do. I, I love the lore. I love I, listening to you explain the lore. So at any point, you are more than welcome to talk about lore. I, I will see if I can think of anything. I don't know too much about Old Rift, but, but we'll see. Anyways, this lore eventually became null and void and it no longer exists. So basically forget everything we just said. Because the current version of Summoner's Rift is essentially loreless, and according to League devs and lore writers, it will likely remain that way for the rest of its existence. If you study game design, you'll come to understand that part of world building is something called environment art. An environment art is the design of the indoor and outdoor settings of a game. 
And I would say that a majority of what I do for EXP is really looking into the environment art of video games and thinking about how that art creates something teachable about the environment and science. I have always had a lot of love for artists and writers that have created the beautiful video game settings and especially the universe that is League of Legends. I mean, there is so much effort put into lore writing, world building, the art itself. I, I could go on for days about just how incredible the writers and artists for Riot are. And so I personally think talking about the world they brought to life is a great way to appreciate the work they have done. So that being said, Austin, are you ready to get into the ecology of the Rift? I'm ready. I'm excited. I've got a few specific pieces I've already got in mind to ask about. So, so I hope you're prepared. I'm ready. So Summoner's Rift, to me, is really representative of a degraded natural area. Perhaps even one I would consider almost regenerative looking, like it's recovering from anthropogenic effects as indicated by the blue and red bases, which look like ruins of something that people or creatures have built. I did a lot of research into the concept art of Summoner's Rift. So like we talked about, it's changed a lot over the years. And I watched this really awesome video by a guy named Trent Kanigua, 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 something like that, who was one of the original concept artists for Summoner's Rift. So in this video that I watched, he talks about his thought process in designing the Rift, and there's some super interesting points in the video. So first of all, Trent talks a lot about how all of the elements are basically super high fantasy. To me, it seems something akin to, like, imagine a tree, okay, now imagine a fantasy magic tree. That's kind of the vibe they were going for. And he mentions that he put a lot of thought into the trees in some of the original concept art and shaping how players feel about the game through the shapes of things like the trees. So, for example, pointy trees tend to give off, like, this scary vibe or like menacing while rounded shapes indicate a safer atmosphere. And as an aside here, I know that red and blue are supposed to be different. I don't want to say vibes. It's all about the vibes. Mm. But red is supposed to be more menacing, more like, I don't want to say scary because that's not what they were going for. But r red is, is, I think, a darker idea of the rift. Whereas blue represents like magic and I don't want to say light. I don't want to misquote any of these devs because I don't want to disrespect them. Right. But there is supposed to be a difference thematically between red and blue side. So this is where Trent mentions the twisted trees. And no, we will not be discussing twisted tree line. I know everyone says bring back twisted tree line. But I will say twisted trees are a real thing in real life. Did you know this? I did not. So if you look up a picture of a twisted tree, most of them often look like if you, it, literally if you took a tree and like wrung it out like a towel, mm. that's what it looks like. And it has this spiraled trunk. The alternative is, you know, like a long tree with like twists and turns in it, like people think of like an elongated branch, but essentially oh, the spiraled trunk. Oh, did did you look it I, up? I looked it up. Yeah, I was like, it is, it's, it is twisted. So when a tree has that twisted trunk, it's what's called a spiraled grain. 
And from what I, what I can tell after looking through articles is that there isn't one clear explanation as to why this happens. And it might even be better to say that the spiral grain could be caused by a number of different things and perhaps not just one thing. And historically, there's been a lot of back and forth and people basically attempting to disprove each other. Like someone comes out with a paper that says twisted trees are caused by this thing. And then someone refutes it with another paper and says, no, it's caused by this thing. But the current theories of what causes a twisted tree are number one, prevailing winds that create this unique growth. So if the tree is blowing in the wind, it's going to twist, essentially. And a lot of people mention the Coriolis effect. Do you know about the Coriolis effect, Austin? Yeah, it's that um, on a large scale, um, things north of the equator turn clockwise, I think. And then south of the equator, it's counterclockwise. Yeah. So things like hurricanes and whatnot. Yeah. So essentially Earth's rotation impacting the direction of things like winds. Thus, it twists the tree. And again, there's a lot of back and forth. Like I, I was reading this one article where people could comment and it was so heated in these comments. People are really serious about what twists the tree. The tree community is getting in some some fights over the, the twisted trees. And I thought paleontologists had drama. But the second theory is that the tree is essentially attempting to better distribute resources such as water, and that helps make the tree more resistant to events like drought. And also the twisting shape makes it more resistant in the face of like continual movement. Mm. And there are definitely more theories and opinions as to why this occurs. So when you consider twisted tree line and the design of trees on Summoner's Rift, I think it's a really interesting concept, especially since twisted trees also introduce this notion of resistance to something perhaps negative happening environmentally on the rift. Well, I was, the only thing I was, I was curious about was, is it like, um, is it just, and, and this isn't your field, so it's okay if you don't know, but is it just any tree just could randomly become a twisted tree? Or is it like a species of tree specifically? That's a great question. From what I could tell, a lot of the trees that end up twisting are coniferous trees. Mm. Don't quote me on that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what I saw. In terms of more deciduous trees, I'm not totally sure. Like one person left a comment that was basically saying, you can make this happen when the tree is as a sapling and you just continually mess with it. I do it all the time. Mm. I don't know if I trust I a do it all the time on the internet. <laughs> so again, a lot of people have feelings about what causes a twisted tree. Yeah, that's fascinating. It, it, I mean, the pictures, I urge you to go look them up. It looks like they were just in the center of a tornado. So it's it's crazy. To expand on this idea a bit more, in the video with concept artist Trent, he talks about designing the plants of the rift as if they're surviving in a unsurvivable environment, a hostile environment, I'd even argue. Perhaps the trees of the rift and twisted tree line need to be more resistant because so much chaos and damage occurs at these places i don't think the the rift exists in current lore like as a solid thing i think it's just for the gameplay but i do know that like there were like massive scale basically nuclear wars on runeterra 
before. They're called the Rune Wars, and they're the things that Rise is going around collecting. And they're basically nuclear bombs, but magical. And, you know, before Rise went around collecting them, before, you know, all of our current kingdoms existed, they had this massive war that basically exterminated a ton of life across all of Runeterra. So that that's the only big thing I was thinking of in regards to this hostile environment and, you know, regrowing and whatnot. And the Rift is supposed to be a place with super high magic. Like, it's supposed to be, like, the most magical place on Earth. But I imagine that with such high magic that this increases the likelihood that the flora and fauna, and also not just, like, magic, but so much chaos and damage, it it increases the likelihood that the flora and fauna of the Rift could potentially be what is called extremophiles. Have you heard of extremophiles? Yes, but only in terms of like um like microorganisms that kind of live in like sulfur lakes. Yeah, so some sources will say that extremophiles are basically only contained to my like microbial life. Mm-hmm. But other sources will say it's all organisms, like all taxa could contain some extremophile. Mm-hmm. But Extremophiles are organisms that exist, and as their name implies, in extreme environments. So like Austin was talking about, um, microbes living in sulfur lakes. Some other examples are things like organisms living in places with high salinity, places with extreme temperatures like volcanoes or underwater vents, or even extreme cold. Other examples are things like high acidity, acidity, or alkalinity, presence of heavy metals. I cannot talk today. It's okay, it's okay. Basically anything that seems like it would be inhospitable to life. So I guess the big question here then is, what exactly is making the rift inhospitable or a bad place for organisms to live? I wanted an expert take on what is happening on the rift ecologically, like when you open the map. So I phoned a friend. And... This is an aside, Austin. I'm going to play the clip and you'll be able to hear it. Um, And you are welcome to comment on anything that you hear while you're listening to it. I just can't pause it is the only thing. So, yeah, it's not the most ideal setup. But we I, we can uh, talk about it after the clip. I can I can just listen and then we can have a little, little talk about it. Okay. so here's that clip. Um, my name is Lily Hoffert. I'm a second year PhD student at uh, UNL. And I am a community ecologist. Um, I study how invasive species, specifically invasive plants, um, are impacting plant communities. First impressions of the scenery. I mean, I'm really like keyed in on whatever kind of vegetation is growing between the rocks. Like, my first impression would be that it's some kind of like moss but it kind of looks like it has leaves so i mean it looks really nice to walk around on but i'm not quite sure what it is yeah we've got some great coniferous trees (laughs) um, behind whatever our fun horned friend is um we also have Mm, some oh it looks like we have some sort of like coniferous bush under his chin looks like we got some broadleaf stuff so some deciduous some coniferous nice mix of things in here um what do you think of the jungle what do i think <laughs> of the jungle i mean just like the types of vegetation that i'm seeing um really kind of remind me of 
forests that are located like much farther north, um, like some of like the Norwegian areas, um, like Canada. Uh, we've got a lot of um, some sort of you know coniferous, like maybe a pine tree. Um, I'm not really sure if this would be fitting with like my interpretation of a jungle. She's talking about um, a bush. I am intrigued at this like tall vegetation down here. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it looks, I mean, just from like me doing like field work, I'd be like, oh yeah, we walk in that. And then we're like knee deep in mud, right? Um, that's definitely like some sort of little wetland. Like maybe there's a little seep, um, coming out where there's like just naturally standing water because of, um, like underground water tables. Um, that looks like a place that I, would not try to go stand in um, the bushes. The the yeah, the the, a bush the, the that's a bush. Okay, yeah, we call great. It the bush. Yeah. Cool. I mean, it does look a lot like I don't know, maybe like a cattail or like some sort of reed. So, what are your thoughts on the river? <laughs> on the river, um, I like that. Uh, it looks like you're kind of floating over the river. Uh, that's real cool. Would be nice. Um, I do. Can we see the scuttle again? Yeah. Looks like, is he what? Some sort of isopod? How many legs does he have? That's a good question. I, I think there's just six. six. Yeah. So I guess it's an insect. <laughs> oh, it does not have the body of an insect, but it has the legs of an insect. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, okay, just like visually, um, it reminds me a lot of some, um, Carnivorous. It reminds me a lot of just like visually of some like other carnivorous plants um, where it has some sort of like tempting fruit and then it like lures the uh, the insect in. It's like the weird glow seems like it'd be That's the gummy attractive to insects like apparently the scuttle. Yeah. Really? Yeah, regenerating for sure. That's I'm intrigued. It's very well. It's very nice how um, there's the these nice wide paths, uh, so you can very clearly walk everywhere. <laughs> and the trees yeah. are only growing at the very, very edges, like up against the walls. Um, obviously, there's some sort of force that's keeping them from uh, recruiting in, you know, right in the middle of the sunlight. Um, like right in the middle of that nice green uh, pathway that we were walking back or walking by a while back. So it seems like... Even if it is regenerating, there's, yeah, some sort of force that's keeping it out of that middle area. Probably not, like, grazing. I could see if there was, like, I mean, if you had, like, a goat on a string, right? And it was just, like, grazing and eating all of the um, all of the small seedlings as they started to grow. That would cause, you know, trees and grasses not to grow in the middle. Um, probably, like, just walking. Yeah, there um, was, like, minions I'm in the lanes. A lot of... Uh, they're called minions. A lot of minions, <laughs> okay. A lot of little guys yeah. throw in some things, and they're just, like, running back and forth. So I guess that it would probably just be, like, a high-trafficked area where, like, as soon as a seed would start to sprout, it would just get trampled, and it would not be a suitable place for it to grow. We call this Gromp. It's oh, like a, he's a so cute. <laughs> okay, he reminds me a lot of. Do you know the frogs that like have the, the their babies that like pop out of their backs? Oh yeah, yeah. And they're like they're like really bad if you have whatever that fear hold is because they like come out. And then there's just like a hole left. It's kind of terrifying to some people. I think they're real cool, and I forget what those frogs are called. But um, he kind of reminds me of that. He's really cute. 
rift sounds pretty accurate. Um, not a geologist, but I've taken a couple geology courses in my day. Um, it definitely looks like there's some sort of greater earth process happening here. Um, if you like look in the distance, it looks like um, either there was some sort of rifting where um, the two sides of the cliffs are like splitting away from each other and then we have the river going through the middle. Or like honestly, it also kind of looks like there could have been like some sort of and that's the background that like scrapes out the middle again referring to. not a geologist but like this is this is a really interesting geologic feature here i was a ta for a geology course um over a summer so we like went to iceland and camped around the island and that was part of my job is we'd go on the bus or we'd be hiking around and then i look around and i go what's that and then the students are like is that a rift? I'm like, yep, there's another one. <laughs> yeah, I don't do like herbs and forbs as much. Um, I mean, they, do, they look like nice, like tropical flowers. Oh, um, this is where also, I show her Zyra's plants. You know, the flower that um, smells like rotting meat, it's like lure and flies. They kind of remind me of that one. Um, I guess like interpreting them as like invasive species. I mean, they do seem like a non native species. They don't seem like they fit in with uh, the type of vegetation around here but like they do they don't seem to be very successful um <laughs> so they grow they like flower they do their thing and then they like die so that could either be because um they no longer need like the flower part they no longer need that like reproductive organ so that's what like a lot of flowers do is they'll bloom for you know some of them will bloom for three weeks some of them will like bloom once like between the hours of 6 a.m and t uh, like 10 a.m and one day a year and that is it and some flowers like they'll only sprout and you'll see them only like intermittently like every few years when rain conditions are right so like you know potentially there could be some sort of like greater system underground and it's like waiting for better conditions and like two years from now you might see those flowers again but if like the flowers just grow or if they're planted, they, like, sprout, and then they die, like, it doesn't seem to be, if it's an invasive species, it doesn't seem to hopefully be one that would have as much invasive potential, just because... I love that Zyra's not really bringing flourishing invasive. in this environment. Last thoughts? Um, I mean, I'm noticing there's a lot of these, like, very large logs and, like, large trees. You see that of, like, fallen and then there's um quite a bit of like decomposition there's like other vegetation growing on it like if if i like would put my hand on that i would expect it to be pretty soft and rotten um it seems like this area was part of a larger this is red side red jungle probably older growth Top trees jungle. and then it looks like something may have happened mm, okay. that caused all of those like very large trees to die off because we're not really seeing those trees anymore and also like i mean i'm not seeing the tops of any of these logs right but they don't have any of the lower branches that look similar to whatever this like pine um, or spruce has so i would like just guess that those might be like a deciduous tree um, that only has like branches higher up because you know they're so big they have no branches lower down so something interesting is happening where there's like um has been some sort of event that caused like a mass die off of all of these larger trees whether maybe there is like a disease that went through um and 
most of these trees were like of a few species, so they all died from that disease, or there could have been like a fire. Um, and then as part of this like succession, there's all of these like smaller coniferous trees that are um, some of the primary species that are growing after the um, the what the disturbance. Yeah, so succession is um, it's kind of a proposed sequence of events that happens after like a large scale disturbance. So when, for example, if there's a forest fire um, and 99% of the species, especially like trees and things that were growing or living in an area before that event um, are suddenly now all gone. Um, succession just describes kind of the process that happens when things regrow and return to the area after. So there'll be certain stages. So like early on, you will have like early colonizers. There's going to be some like herbs and forbs or like, you know, small plants that are going to regrow and maybe you'll get some insects back and then you're going to start to get some more shrubs and maybe some deer return. And then you're going to start to get trees and have more species that will um, colonize that area. Would red cedar like to populate this area? Um... Uh, probably. <laughs> um, I mean, they're really, mm, they're really drought tolerant. If the event that came through here was a fire, I don't know too much about, you know, whatever this, if this is like a spruce or a pine, I don't know if that species would be fire tolerant, but if there's fire that goes through pretty often and that's what killed off all the larger trees, I think it would be pretty hard for cedars to populate here. If you got some cedar seeds in here, they're, they're pretty hardy overall. They would probably at least like so to start So that is the clip with Lily. There's a lot to unpack there, but what are your initial thoughts? Well, I'm glad uh, to know that Olaf is the canon jungler. I've never played as him, but learning that the trees on the rift are very Norwegian was very interesting to me because i i would never have expected that i just gotta say i absolutely adore making people who have way way too much qualifications to even like look at league of legends do stuff like this it is so incredibly fascinating and also hilarious plugged in zyra as my champ and walked through the jungle and was like okay what do you think of this okay now what do you think of this that is incredible. I'm I'm so happy. That that, that entire clip made me very very happy. Make scientists like you said, people who probably have much better things to do. <laughs> Look at a fake a fantasy forest and tell me what they think of it. Um but I'm I'm incredibly appreciative of Lily's time and she did a fantastic job describing Summoner's Rift in terms of what we're seeing with flora and fauna. So I, one of the things that stuck out to me was I really liked that Lily mentions something has to have happened for the rift to form, which I had never thought about previously. And even though the rift technically isn't canon and technically doesn't exist within Rune Terra, like lore-wise, I don't think anything exists to explain the actual formation of the geologic rift. So we can only speculate, but my theory, and I'll, I'll get into what happens in real life, but my theory is that a catastrophic magical event in Runeterra created the rift. That's what seems like the most high fantasy explanation to me. 
And so my question to you is like, what champions have the ability to create this kind of gigantic rift? So there are tons of champions that are able, like we could say like Aurelian soul, you know, the maker of stars, like he obviously has the power. But if we're going to narrow it down to champions who could just be actually related to the kind of creation to something like this, I think the the biggest one, like I was talking about earlier, would have to be Rise. And I don't think any current champions would be directly related to something like this aside from him. Because when I hear talk about like a disaster sweeping through it, all I can think of you know something on a large enough scale to just decimate or create an entire rift uh, from the planet with such high magical energy would be these world runes that rise is going around collecting so if i had to guess based on current lore it would have to be some kind of result from the rune war that was basically like i said just a, a massive magical nuclear war drop the magic nukes Yes, and now Rise, his his entire lore, just to give a brief overview, is that he's going around collecting all of these magical nuclear bombs called world runes to seal them away to make sure a magical nuclear war never happens again. Huh, interesting. I Conversely, in the real world, natural rifts are caused by plate tectonics. So geologically... The Earth's crust is made up of what's called plates, so basically just very large, I don't want to say slabs of rock, but in in layman's terms, yes, technically it's like giant, not even rock. It's It's a mixture of things. Geologists listening are probably groaning right now, and I'm really sorry. But essentially, when two plates move away from each other, there's there's a rift, right? You can imagine two pieces of, I don't know, Soil, rock, fossils, everything moving away and there's like a gap in between. So a great example of this in real life is, I'm going to totally butcher this, but Lake Thingvallafatn in Iceland. So if you Google like natural land rift, yeah, if you Google it, it, it looks like the background art to Summoner's Rift. Oh wow. Yeah, that was that was another thing is that I didn't even know that the word rift was a thing in geology. Like I've taken basic earth science, but that was that was a new term for me. And I immediately looked it up and I was like, wait a second. There's some there's some rift like elements in the background for sure. I felt so silly when Lily was literally like, Oh, I get it. It's literally a rift. Yeah, exactly. I was like, wait a second, this means something? It doesn't just sound cool? Yeah, I just thought it was a name. I just thought Summoner's Rift meant it was a thing. No, it's literally a geologic rift, which is hilarious. And I <laughs> I don't know how many other people have never realized that, but hopefully I'm not alone in this. I think, I think this will definitely spread more awareness because, like I said, the people who know what a rift is and the people who play who have enough time to play League of Legends, I feel like there's a small, small Venn diagram there. So I think this will help. Happy Rift Awareness Month, everybody. Exactly, yes. 
So thinking about the rift itself and the flora and fauna of the rift, I wanted to dig a little deeper into the actual, quote, monsters that live on the rift or creatures, if you will. And first off, obviously, I'm going to I want to touch on Scuttle. I don't have a lot to say about Scuttle Crab, but when Lily saw Scuttle Crab, of course, she was like, wait, how many legs does it have? To me, it makes no sense that Scuttle has six legs, but it's fine. Insect people rejoice. You get Scuttle Crab. I think they should have eight legs, but it's whatever. It does seem based on some kind of isopod. And since it lives in the river, to me, that signals it's an aquatic isopod, which is a real thing. So if you Google aquatic isopod, you can see you can even buy aquatic isopods to have at home or for your classroom. You can literally buy IRL scuttle crab, which I think is funny. Maybe I should just get real scuttle crabs. I love the scuttle crab lore. It, it made me smile the most, I think, out of that entire clip. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I mean, I knew... I don't... What are they called? The uh, the real scuttle crabs. Do you? Do we know? Isopods? I mean, I'm sure somebody knows that. Yes, but they have a name. I've seen videos of them. The little guys with their shells and their spiky tails. And their little claw legs. All right, well. Crabs? (laughs) They're they're not crabs. They might just be called isopods. They're like the things that haven't evolved in like a billion years. Oh, horseshoe crabs. Yeah, yeah, those are what they're called. The horseshoe crabs. That's what I always thought of when I saw Scuttle. Really? That's interesting. I never thought of Scuttle as a horseshoe crab, but I, I can see it. There's a lot of controversy in the arachnid world currently that horseshoe crabs um, might genetically be arachnids. Oh, they're spiders? Well, <laughs> oh my god. I mean, not all arachnids are spiders, but oh, yes, yeah, spider okay, cousins, yeah. Scorpions. If, if you will. I yeah, As an arachnologist trying to explain phylogenies sometimes... I don't know. My favorite meme and phylogenies is like building trees of like what's related to what. My favorite meme on the internet is it's um, it says like your phylogeny isn't real, but that's okay because nobody else's is because (laughs) phylogenies are basically just like built off of, you know, genetic data or other things. And we'll never know who is actually right if they're right at all. But Mm. it's like. I don't want to call it an educated guess because it's not a guess. It's based on solid data. But yeah, there's always drama with the phylogeny, systematics, taxonomy people. I love science drama. Um, But back to Trent's video, he specifically points out, and, and we're taking a turn here, he points out the design of Baron Pit and that in designing Baron Pit, it involved making a lot of cracks to indicate that a disastrous event happened around the barren pit. And the pit itself has cracks, like when barren is not there, the cracks in the pit are glowing purple, indicating some relationship to the void, in my opinion, because barren is a void creature. And if you look at red side jungle behind barren pit, this is the forest Lily was talking about, where it's just like a lot of decimated trunks. The forest looks wiped out, so the disturbance that Lily mentions, at least in the perspective of Baron, it it could have been Baron that wiped out this forest, which is an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, that is fascinating. I, I, yeah, because literally the void creatures in the most basic sense of the word are an invasive species on the entire planet of Runeterra. 
So it makes a lot of sense. I wish I was smart enough to think to ask Lily, an invasive species biologist, about void creatures, but maybe that would be going <laughs> too far. So, so scientist, please take your precious time to explain void creatures to the masses. Maybe I'll start calling real invasive species void creatures. Honestly, it's not too far off from a from what they are. Do you do you want to explain what void creatures are to anyone who might not know the okay, lore? Okay, so it, it, so yes, I can do that. So there's a bunch of countries. So Runeterra is the planet, and you know there was this country of mages that was fighting this war and they were starting to lose because the other country called Sharima had these super god warriors. And so they were sore losers about losing this war. And they said, what if we called forth eldritch gods to kind of just smite our enemies? And so they tried that and they contacted these things called the Watchers, which lie beyond the rift. It's a long story. But basically the way it ends up is these watchers get really upset that somebody woke them up. And so their whole country called Ikathia gets swallowed up by this thing called the Void, which is some sort of extension by the watchers. I'm pretty sure. I apologize if I get this wrong. Um, and basically from there, the giant Void hole that is not, that was uh, Ikathia, these... Uh, servants of the Watchers called Void uh, creatures start coming out. And that's what Baron Nasher is, the Rift Scuddler, um, and a number of champions like Velkaz, Cho'Gath, uh, Belveth. Uh, all kinds of things come from the Void. None good for Runeterra. Invasive species are the Void. At least on yeah, islands basically. or something like that. The next creature is Gromp. And when you search Gromp in like the, the League of Legends wiki fandom, the species it's categorized as, as is just frog. Gromp is literally just a frog. Incredible. I had, I had a quite, I mean, I was thinking about Gromp specifically in regards to this. I was like, you know, his little animation when he first spawns on the rift, he's like a little tiny boy, like a very small frog. He jumps onto this like mushroom and becomes giant Gromp. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's, Awesome you mentioned that, and we're, we're going to get into it. So Gromp is technically a frog imbued with magic. Therefore, the magic is what turns it large and defensive. So mm -hmm. like you pointed out, it jumps on this mushroom. It gets really big. Also, Gromp's full name is Lord Grompolis Kevin Ribiton of Croaksworth. I didn't know if you knew that's that. incredible. I didn't <laughs> know that. That is that's new lore for me. That makes me incredibly happy. And there was this really funny post on Reddit that was like, Jungler, may I take Lord Grompolis Kevin Ribbiton of <laughs> I, I, I have a new copy post. And uh, you know, control C that before every game from now on. <laughs> so if you look closely at Gromp, like we talked about, but in its like full monster form, there is fungi growing out of the back of Gromp which suggests some kind of symbiotic relationship with the fungus. And of course, the intro animation, like we keep talking about, it jumps on this fungus, so there's something happening with this fungus. And this is interesting to me because in the real world, frogs are in the midst of a horrible battle with a fungus called chytrid, and it is killing frogs off in substantial numbers. Have you ever heard of chytrid, Austin? 
I, I haven't. The first time I had learned about Kitrid, I was in third grade. I actually asked my principal if I could teach all of the classes about Kitrid, and she humored me and let me do it to a degree. <laughs> I don't know why. But frogs are dying due to what's called chytridiomycosis. And according to the Smithsonian's National Zoo and Conservation Biology Institute, when a frog is infected with chytrid, it is the frog's skin that is impacted here. Well, that's where the fungus settles in. And so the spores, which are called zoospores of the fungus, are released into the skin, inhibiting the frog's ability to drink, exchange ions, and function properly. So if you know anything about frogs, um, their skin, keeping their skin wet is super important because there's um, exchange going on in the skin. And ultimately, this buildup of zoospores and inhibition of that resource exchange through the frog's skin um, leads to a heart attack and kills the frog. This isn't like a 100% mortality rate to my understanding. Like if a frog has chytrid, it doesn't always die, but it has a really good chance of dying. And um, herpetologists listening, you can always correct me on these things. But according to the Cornell Wildlife Health Lab, Kitrid affects over 350 species of amphibians, and it has caused the decline or complete extinction of over 200 species of frogs and other amphibians. Wow, you really traumatized your entire third grade class with that, huh? Yes, <laughs> I did. That's, I told them, that is terrible. we have to save the frogs. Uh, and it was caused <laughs> by invasive species, the African clawed frog. So a, a real-life void creature <laughs> spread this chytrid fungus. That is awful. My God. It is native to Africa. And where they're native to, it's um, I don't know how much of a problem chytrid is, but when clawed frogs were brought to other places is when it seemed to become a problem. But Gromp, at least, seems to be doing just fine with its fungal friends, though my theory is that this is due to the magic of the rift. So Gromp is noted to specifically be the product of a specific frog species and its encounter with a magical anomaly. So perhaps Gromp was a frog infected with Runeterra's version of Chytrid, but it has been made resistant by the magic that provide Gromp's strength. So basically, to solve Chytrid, we just need magic. I'm down. I think, honestly, if I could have a pet... What's his name? I didn't. I didn't control C it in time. Uh, Lord Grompolis Kevin Ribiton of Croaksworth. I think. I think he has the solutions to our problems. I trust him. The next creature then is Merkwolves, and Merkwolves are probably the closest thing we get to a real world animal on the Rift, besides the like legitimate frogs, not Gromp, and birds on the Rift. And I think the Merkwolves are fascinating when you think about them. So the description of Merkwolves on the League of Legends fandom website states, Merkwolves are mammalian creatures that are magically altered by runic magical energy scattered across Valoran. They usually live near caves and dense forest growths. The color of their fur varies upon how much a wolf was altered by magical energy in the womb, either a light brown color or a murky gray color. They also have been instances of mutations in these species where some Merkwolves are born with two heads. It is said that killing a greater Merkwolf with the spell of smite summons forth a forest spirit to act as a watcher for the victor. So any first impressions on that description? I, I guess I was just curious about the, the two-headed one in particular. Like, is that 
possible in in normal wolves. I don't think I've ever seen seen like mammals with two heads. It is possible. Um, I think the most famous example is with a cow. So you can search like two headed cow, and it comes up. It's not common, of course, but it is a mutation. Kind of what happens in those instances is like a separation of of embryos. So I don't necessarily want to call it a mutation. Not a geneticist. I don't do mammals. So nobody, I hope I'm not canceled by scientists for this take. I'm just an arachnologist, people. Um, But the presentation of Merc Wolves on Summoner's Rift seems akin to real world wolves to me, besides the two heads. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? I do. I think that, you know, I, like you said, as opposed to all the other jungle creeps, uh, Merkwolves are, they're just wolves. <laughs> just wolves. Gromp is just frog. Yeah, Gromp, Gromp is just a frog with some mushrooms. Wolves, just some wolves with an extra head. The Merkwolves guard a particular territory in the game in jungle. And in real life, wolf packs typically live within a specific territory and defend that territory from other wolves. So if you play jungle, you often have to fight the wolves as they defend their spot. So again, real world parallels happening here. There is a prevailing myth that wolves have an alpha and subsequent hierarchy. And that comes from a biologist named David Meck, who was one of the first people to describe the alpha wolf. But the scientist himself admitted he was basically wrong in light of new research, as this kind of hierarchy has only been observed in captive wolves. This myth is so pervasive that Mech actually worked really hard to take his original book that describes this alpha hierarchy out of print. And I had heard that some time ago, the publishers initially refused to let him take this book out of print because it was making them so much money. Uh, the classic. There is dominance in wolves, but it's because most packs of wolves are made up of a mated pair of wolves, so parents, and their offspring. Thus, the parents tend to be the dominant ones. That being said, it's likely merc wolves are all related to each other in some capacity if they follow this wolf design. So the greater merc wolf, the one with two heads, is the result of according to the website, a mutation. My question then is how often that mutation is passed down. Is it inherited? That kind of thing. No idea. We can't really perform a genetic experiment on merc wolves, but that would be cool. But it it is unclear which of the merc wolves are the mated pair and which is the offspring. But I like to think that the greater merc wolf is the baby, the offspring, and the brown merc wolves are the parents. (laughs) It's just, it's got, a, it's got its growth spurt. It just outgrew the parents a little bit. They, they had a giant baby. I, you know, it truly, all this information I'm realizing makes me feel like the worst person in the world for maining jungle. And how many times I've smited the double-headed Merkle baby in front of its parents. So I appreciate you bringing this to, to my attention. Just... I hope you never look at jungling the same way again after this episode. <laughs> Oh, I, I won't. I'm I'm forever going to remember that I'm murdering a child within in front of its two parents whenever I do wolves and presumably the next species we get to, too. Oh, yes, definitely, because it's raptors. <laughs> ah, wonderful. Raptors in the game are presented as this, as this flightless avian-like species. I love raptors, and they're affectionately called chickens by the fan base. 
And when you come across the raptors camp, there are several juvenile raptors, as the website calls them, and that's indicated by the blue feathers. So all the ones that are blue are babies, and the adult oh, no. is <laughs> the one with the red feathers. <laughs> and this is um, oh. this is presumably the mother raptor. That's that's great. No, keep going. You're, junglers are child murderers, but the mother raptor is said to fend for its young until they can defend themselves from predators. So that is why Mama <laughs> Raptor goes after you when you start attacking her babies. Many birds protect their young by concealing the nest. There are other methods of nest protection, um, but raptors in the game are out in the open. They're in like that little cove. So it seems like pure strength is how Mother Raptor opts to protect her young. And this can be seen in real-life birds, and in particular, the one I found is ospreys, which are a type of real-life raptor. Get it? I did not. I have never heard of these before. So raptors could be based on real raptors, or they share traits with real-life raptor birds. Oh, interesting. So again, it's it's not just a rift. It's not just a raptor. There is thought there <laughs> behind is these yeah. concepts. <laughs> My small indie company put in work on this this lore. <laughs> All right. So the one that I think everyone's probably waiting for that I think has there's so much to unpack is Drake, a.k.a. Dragon. And I thought about what Lily had said about fire disturbance. And I think the Summoner's Rift Dragon is a large piece of the Rift's ecology. Considering when you defeat a dragon, the entire map changes. Like, the entire environment changes. So for starters, like, Infernal Drake, when you kill Infernal Drake, you watch fire scorch the land, which, as Lily mentioned, could be a beneficial disturbance that is helping to regenerate some of the forests of Summoner's Rift. And there is a name for this. Um, when plants whose growth is triggered by fire, we describe them as serotonous. Watch that end up on Jeopardy. The next Drake, then, is Chemtech Drake. That's the one that stands out to me. And when I think about Chemtech Drake, it takes me back to that idea of extremophile flora and fauna because Chemtech implies some sort of noxious pollutant. And I, do you want to explain Chemtech a little more without forcing people to watch Arcane? You should watch Arcane. It's the best way to enjoy League of Legends, unironically. It, it's absolutely worth the watch. Um, but if you truly do not want to, I won't force you. Chemtech is like the best real world equivalent, I think, would probably be either natural gas or oil, kind of-ish. But it's also like an embodiment of a war crime. It's like biological. It's like bioterrorism. It, yeah, yeah. That that's a that's a great way to describe it. It's basically biotech. It's it's like steampunk biotech that fuses technology with organic life. Is is the most basic way to describe it. It just gets used a lot for war crimes by singed. I don't have a lot of in depth thought on Chemtech Drake and what exactly it's doing to the land, other than makes a case for Summoner's Rift just being extremely dynamic ecologically. And I don't know if there has been lore written about Chemtech Drake itself. I couldn't find anything. But 
if Kemchak Drake is a natural, a naturally occurring species, that's that's interesting. If it's the alternative is like somebody made the Kemtech Drake, which is what I assume, but the lore is not written. What I, I when I thought when you started going into this, the first thing I thought of was like the Chemtech Rift, where all of the the plants are, are have been super mutated, and there's this green kind of fog. It it made me think like if you know the other rifts uh, delve into kind of like what would the rift look like if it was in a different kind of ecological zone, like if if it had burned or. Yeah, we haven't gotten there yet, but if it had flooded with the the ocean rift, I was kind of thinking like, what if the Chemtech Drake was kind of a symbolization of like human? I don't know what the right word is. Anthropogenic for it, like human, effects. Yeah, like like what if like the human waste like kind of did this to the rift, like radioactive like runoff had like changed the rift in this way. Like this was mm-hmm. the human intervention. Interesting. Rift. Yeah, I like that take. I think that's really, really cool. The next Drake I wanted to talk about is Cloud Drake. And Cloud Drake gives a speed buff, movement buff, right? So I would almost tie this into the Twisted Trees from earlier. And perhaps the effects of Cloud Drake increasing wind movement is what's creating Twisted Trees. That's all I had for that. Moving on. Wind rift isn't very exciting. No. It's just some. It's just some some movement speed. I feel like, like clouds. Everyone's like, "Oh, it's just a cloud Drake. We're not going to fight for it." Yeah, I mean, it's not like even the passive effect. Like you get some some old speed reduction, I think, and it's like, eh, it's not fun. Unless you're Lux. Okay, well, nobody has fun when there's a Lux in the game. So <laughs> the Lux has fun. That is true. One one out of ten. <laughs> The next Drake then is Mountain Drake, and Mountain Drake tends to make the land rockier, more barren, which to me makes sense why we see these coniferous plants everywhere, because coniferous plants tend to do better in rockier habitats. That's not always true. I don't want that to be like a generalist statement. It kind of was. But that's what it reminded me of, at least Mountain Drake. I don't have any more thoughts beyond that. Mountain Drake is... it's important sometimes, but... I don't know. It's, it's it's a Drake of all time, I would say. I certainly like when I when I get the fourth Drake, I'm like, oh, nice, a little little permanent shield. When the enemy gets the fourth Drake, I'm like, all right, game's over. GG next. So <laughs> you know, it, it goes either way. But yeah, it's not too much. I do like the little mountains it makes, though. It's kind of fun little terrain. And then, as you had mentioned earlier, the ocean Drake. When you kill it, of course, you see this rain animation and the rain spawns a lot more plant life. And considering how often a drake, just blanket statement drake, doesn't matter which kind, is killed on Summoner's Rift, I imagine this makes the ecosystem incredibly dynamic. And this reminds me a lot of the habitat that I used to work on, which is called Alvar. And for anyone who doesn't know what Alvar is, I I could talk about forever because that's what I did my master's work on. But Alvar is defined as a landscape with shallow soils, almost no soil in some cases, and then a limestone dolomite bedrock. And because of these shallow soils and the bedrock underneath, it becomes a dynamic place due to the moisture and the moisture gradient. So of course, when it rains, it can flood because there's no soil to intake that water. When it's hot and dry, of course, it's, there's, 
potential for drought. Um, and in a lot of places where alvars occur, there's snow. So that also contributes to the moisture dynamics, the hydrology of the landscape. But snow on the rift, it has happened, but the devs don't plan to bring it back anytime soon. So interesting seasonality with the rift. Like they had winter. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe climate change happened. There's no longer well, snow. Well, they're, they're a small indie company. They can't afford seasonal rifts. It's, it's you know, how much did you say they were bought for in 2011? $400 million? Yeah, $400 million. Yeah. Dollars. yeah. Last, I had Krugs, but in in terms of Krugs, I think they're just kind of this under-researched species of Runeterra because they're really lacking in lore unless you you have uh-huh. anything to mention about Krugs. I, I don't have the deep Krug lore memorized, unfortunately. I wish I did, but I, I do... No, I have no clue about Krugs, actually. They're presented as almost insect-like but also mammalian like their heads look like beetles to me but then they're bo- yeah, they have like four legs like a mammal they're really cute yeah, and they're I, like they are i wonder what they're based off of because the first thing i thought of was like maybe like a roly poly but roly polies don't look like that at all so i might be just going insane but like a turtle maybe it seems like their rocky attributes are used as a camouflage of some kind. So then my question would be what preys on Krugs for them to have to oh, camouflage? No. That's, that is kind of terrifying, honestly. The only thing I can think of is like Rift Herald or Baron. Maybe maybe the Brambleback, the, the Red Buff. That's true. I yeah, I don't really have anything in terms of like the buffs um i i kind of treat well, them like pokemon legendaries yeah like, th- that's basically what they they're are. kind of like an outlier to everything that's happening even baron though is kind of like legendary pokemon status yeah i think like in lore i honestly i'm making this up i'm just going on what i assume right now so don't take this worth anything i think that red and blue buff are like Ionian spirits like manifesting through like trees and rocks. I think I think mm. that that's what makes most sense to me in lore. The last thing then is champions. And since oh. the since the rift doesn't really have lore and in terms of champions like I'm thinking in the future I could go over champions and their regions in depth. Like I think it'd be interesting to talk yeah. about Skarner's people and the ecology of scorpions. But for yeah, now, I, before he gets completely reworked oh, oh, in a few months. Oh, they're doing a, a rework for that. It's coming out in January, I think. Oh, interesting. Well, I I think we're going to have to wait on talking about specific champions. But listeners, let me know if you would want that. You can always ping me in the Pika Science Discord, or you can message me on social media. Um, But the last thing I did want to mention, besides that Worlds is happening soon, and this is a well-timed advertisement for League League of Legends Worlds, the finals for the esports. Who are you placing bets on, Austin? Look, don't make me say this. I'm going to look like a fraud for every single thing I've said this entire uh, uh, podcast. I don't know who's who's in Worlds. I, I haven't been following it at all. 
that's okay. I have no bets either. I've also not been following. Um, but I did the last. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to mention is while Riot is generally a detested uh, company that sometimes does not do good things, they do sometimes do good things. So League of Legends actually ran a campaign earlier this year in January, which, by the way, I, I never, I did not remember this happening, but it happened apparently. Where for every 100 in-game missions completed by players, Riot donated $1 to the Riot Social Impact Fund and they promised to give it to conservation. It's unclear whether this was related to a poll that Riot gave out in 2022, like late 2022, asking players to vote for charities to receive donations from the Social Impact Fund. And at the time, that fund held about $6 million USD at the time of that vote. So Riot announced that 28 regions were eligible in terms of um, receiving that money. And from those 28 regions, three of them, so each of those regions like had charities um, that people could vote for. There was like three charities per region. And so then three regions had conservation funds as the organization that got the most votes. So there was Rainforest Rescue in Australia, the Borneo Project in Malaysia and the World Wildlife Fund in the United States. It's unclear how much was donated to each charity, but Riot guaranteed 15,000 USD to each organization that was in the running. So they don't even have to win. Each charity gets $15,000. So for the ones that did get the most votes, um, they got like 50% of their region's donations. So it's likely, it, it's not even likely, it is true that the donation amount for those charities that got the most votes was higher. But that's a little bit about Riot doing good things for once. It happens. It's possible. It's, they can do it. You can be the change you wish to see in the world, something, something. It's true. Right. Once a year, Riot Games, you know what? They get one. They get one right. I feel like there's so much more we could talk about. But we do have to save that for another episode. I'd love to do more League of Legends. So like I said, listeners, you're always welcome to drop suggestions or ideas or just to discuss the show. Again, you can join the Pika Science Discord where you can chat with me as well as the entire Pika Science cast and with fellow listeners. Austin, before we go, do you have anything, any last words, first of all? Look, she really wants to talk about Zyra's ecology on this podcast so so please let her do another league of legends episode on the champs just just zyro an hour dedicated just to zyro one, maybe a special two-hour segment just on on zyra do you have anything you would like to plug any shout outs i have nothing i like i said i am here as a certified gamer gaming is all all that i came here to do and i think that we we succeeded do you have social media that people can find you on? I look, you're making me look real bad, but I do not. I've got nothing. You can't find me anywhere. I'm sorry to say if you enjoyed me or my voice, um, you can replay this as much as you'd like. But that is that's about it for now. Austin shall not be found. It's true. And finally, you can follow me, Jillian, on my socials at Bugs or Bust on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you all for tuning in and leveling up with EXP.